have to uh, look at the scriptures with us. And let's look at Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 27. And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck. And the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. The anointing is yoke-destroying, burden-removing power. It is the ability of God. It is the supernatural ability of God to do whatever He leads us to do, whatever He's called us to do, and to also accomplish anything that His Word says that can flow or move or happen through us as individuals. The anointing is very precious. In the Old Testament, there was a special recipe, a special um, uh, gathering of ingredients that produced the holy anointing oil that was used in the worship of God in the Old Testament. It was forbidden by law that anybody would copy it. It was a unique and holy thing. Now, even things were anointed because there was oil poured on vessels of the tabernacle and so forth. And, of course, that was a sanctifying act. It was saying these things are holy. These things are dedicated unto the Lord. But also, and even more importantly, people were anointed. And uh, even in the New Testament era, of course, people are anointed. And, and uh, they were at times literally anointed with oil and with that holy oil as well. And, of course, to anoint means, the word means to rub or smear or pour. So when you put on a lotion, for instance, or you ladies put on your makeup, you're anointing yourself. And, of course, the... That's the general idea. That's the, that's the word in its simplest use. But, of course, that anointing signified something far more important than any oil or any kind of natural substance. It signified the presence of God upon someone. So when we put that thought, those thoughts together with Isaiah 10, 27, what we begin to realize is that the anointing, that destroys yokes and removes burdens is the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon believers. And in the Old Testament, people were anointed for specific offices and specific ministry functions. Primarily in the Old Testament, the prophet, the priest, and the king, these were all anointed people. They had specific functions they operated in their offices. And then there were others like in the days of the judges we talked about. Last week we talked about Samson and how the Spirit of the Lord would come upon him. And he had superhuman strength. Nobody could figure it out until he told his secret because he didn't look like the Incredible Hulk. He didn't look like Mr. Universe. He was just an ordinary looking guy. And so people were just amazed and astounded. How could somebody that seemed so ordinary in his appearance have such strength and be so powerful. <clears throat> well, we know that it was because of the anointing of God on his life. And he was called uh, before he was ever born. His parents were told that they were to raise him as a Nazarite, which was a specific uh, group 
a people that were under a vow to God and certain things they couldn't do and certain uh, things they had to observe. And one of them was he couldn't cut his hair. And uh, when, the hair, when his hair was cut, of course, he lost his strength. His hair grew back. He prayed. He was, of course, repentant. And uh, God touched him and God changed him. And, and he ended his life with a great display of strength, supernatural strength. But anyway, there's a lot of things in the Word of God concerning the anointing. When you study the subject, it's very vast. It's very big. And, of course, believers are anointed. We've learned that from 1 John chapter 2 that every believer has an anointing, and so every believer has the presence and, and person of the Holy Spirit involved in their life. When you're born again, the Spirit of God sets you into the body of Christ and makes you a new creation in Christ. Second Corinthians five seventeen tells us, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. There is a moving and there is an operation of the Holy Spirit that causes that to happen. And then, of course, we understand, too, that when you go on to seek the Lord, if you so desire, that though the Holy Spirit has um, placed you into the body of Christ when you're born again, Jesus, as your Savior, will now immerse you into the Holy Spirit and baptize you into the Holy Ghost. And that's when this whole area of anointing and gifts of the Spirit and the move and operation of the Holy Spirit begins to open up in greater depths and dimensions than ever before. And so the anointing will destroy yokes and remove burdens in any capacity, in any way. We know according to Acts 10, 38, that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him, the Bible says. And Jesus was anointed, you remember, after being baptized in water by John the Baptist, and the Holy Spirit descended in the bodily shape and form of a dove. And by the way, the Holy Spirit is not a bird. The Holy Spirit is not a fire. The Holy Spirit is not a wind. The Holy Spirit is not a, a feeling. The Holy Spirit is a person. Now, all of these various manifestations can and do happen, of course, and they're biblical and scriptural, but the Holy Spirit is not an it. He is not a force, but he is a divine person. And I think sometimes that if we're not careful we can forget how powerful and how personable, if you will, that the Holy Spirit really is. And we can think about so many other things and we can think so much about the manifestations of the Spirit that we can almost forget that He is a person. If you want power, let me encourage you to seek the person who has the power. If you want miracles, to see miracles, if you want to see manifestations of the Spirit, then seek after the one who gives miracles and manifestations of the Holy Spirit. We need to learn to communicate with the Holy Spirit. We need to make Him our very best friend. You know, God the Father is in heaven. Jesus the Son is seated at His right hand in heaven. The Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity, the person of the Godhead that is present in the earth today. And there's, there's no way that you're going to get anything of any consequence accomplished in the kingdom of God without the cooperation of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit manifests and the Holy Spirit operates through an individual, we call that 
the anointing. It's the manifested presence and power of the Holy Spirit. The anointing is the manifested presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And of course, there's nothing God can't do. There's nothing too hard for him. There's nothing that's so big and bad that he can't overcome it. He can, he can handle anything that you might be facing. I don't know what anybody might be facing tonight, but I can tell you, regardless of how big and bad it may seem, God's bigger, and his power is greater. You do not have to be a victim. You can be the victor. You can be the winner. Hallelujah. Let's go over to the book of Luke, chapter 4. We've been there in, uh, a number of Wednesdays, but we're going to come back again and look at verse number 13. And, of course, we just keep looking at some of these verses over and over again. And uh, that's how we learn. That's how we retain. That's how we uh, keep getting more and more insight. We just keep squeezing. It's like a sponge. You know, you just keep squeezing it and more water comes out. Or more revelation comes out of Scripture as you stay in them. Verse number 13 is where we will begin. And it says, And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him, that's from Jesus, for a season. And Jesus returned in the power the, the dunamis, that's the raw, explosive, energizing power of the Spirit. He returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. Why did he have to return in the power of the Spirit? Why was it necessary that Jesus would be anointed of the Spirit? Well, because he had laid aside his royal uh, privileges and divine privileges. You can read about it in Philippians chapter 2. And he chose to become a man. He chose to become like one of us. Of course, he was without sin, but even with that, he needed the anointing. You see, it's wonderful to be holy, but it's even more wonderful to be holy and powerful. So it's not enough just to be pious. It's not enough just to not do the bad stuff and try to do the good stuff. We need the power of God. As a matter of fact, you'll find the power of God is how you'll be able to do what you need to do. It's through the power of God that you'll be able to say no to the lusts of the flesh and the sins of this world and be able to say yes to the things of God. And so Jesus operated in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit, as we quoted earlier, Acts 10, 38, God anointed him with the Holy Ghost and with power. And so we'll reread verse 14 and start again. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Let me stop here just long enough to tell you that Jesus was familiar with his Bible. He knew where he wanted to go. He knew where he, he wanted to be in Scripture. He actually took a text, and this, is, this would set the stage for him to read this and then make this startling and amazing proclamation about it being fulfilled this day. And what you've got to realize is that when Jesus went about these various places... Matthew 9.35, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. When he did that, you realize that he would go to all these various and different places, and it would seem that he would take this text at least once, 
in all these places. And he would basically preach this same message to everybody. He wanted them to know about the anointing. So if you want a little bit of insight into what kind of preacher and teacher Jesus was, he was a teacher about the anointing. I'm sure it wasn't all that he taught about. We know it wasn't. But this is something that was close to him because it was necessary in order for him to do the miracles he did. When you read about all his healings and miracles, that didn't happen in some dry, dead church meeting. It didn't happen in some vacuum. It happened in the context of a Holy Ghost-led, Holy Ghost-filled, Holy Ghost-anointed ministry. Well, guess what? In John 14, 12, Jesus said we're supposed to do what he did. He himself said, the works that I do. He's talking about he that believeth on me, he said. The works I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And so when we read this, we're not just reading history. It is historically accurate. It is powerful. It is, it is true. But we are reading more than history. We're reading a pattern. We're looking at a pattern of how to do ministry. So Jesus went to his Bible. He opened it up, uh, or the, the minister opened up the scroll, and he found the place where it was written. He took his text from Isaiah, what we know as Isaiah 61, and he said in verse 18, we read uh, now, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. You see, that's the anointing. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach. Let me stop here just a minute. I, I just have to follow the Holy Ghost tonight. You know, it's one thing to have the Spirit within. It's another thing to have the Spirit upon. All believers have the Spirit within to some degree. But not everybody seems to be walking with the anointing, wearing it like a garment, the Spirit upon them. Have you ever been around somebody and you could just sense that they knew God? You could just sense that there was something about them. And even if you didn't know exactly what all it was, you knew something's different. And when you got to realizing what was going on, you realize now that was the anointing. I've been around people like that in my lifetime. And I'll tell you, it's a joy to me. I, I, I tell you, it brings conviction. It brings you to a place where you, you get hungry for the things of God. You want to go deeper in God. It touches your life. And of course, in that atmosphere, it's so easy to receive. I don't know how we've gotten off to this place in so much of the body of Christ to where that all of our prayers, and I'm not saying this is about you personally, but so many people, all they're praying and all the needs that they have, it always seems to be a struggle. It's always this long, hard, drawn-out process. That's not at all the way it's supposed to be. You don't find people coming in Jesus' ministry and he'd say, Well, you know, I hope we can get this nut cracked. I hope we can get this figured out. You know, maybe if you'll come back tomorrow, I'll, I'm going to pray about it tonight and see what I can do. You know, that didn't happen. There were, there were people who came to Jesus and their life was as messed up as anybody you can imagine. There were people who came to Jesus and they weren't living right. There, there were people who came to Jesus, their theology wasn't right. In Matthew 8, you know, the leper came to him and said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Sounded like a good church member, didn't it? Lord, if it's your will, in your own good time, in your own good way. I, oh, Lord, I wish you'd just do it. I hope you could. I know you can if you want to. He didn't say it just like that, but that's the gist of what he said. And Jesus answered with two words to correct his theology, 
before he could be healed. A lot of people need a little theology tweak before they get healed, before they receive whatever it is that they need from God. And what did Jesus say? He said, I will. You know, he didn't get up and make a big deal about it. He never, we have no record that he shouted it out. We have no record that, that a light shined down from heaven and, and there was a sound of a thousand voice choir of angels behind him and, you know, kind of like, you know, Ooh. and then he said that, you know, that's not what happened. As we said the other day about the Christmas choir, there, there were no altos, sopranos, doritos, tostitos. No, none of those things were going on. Jesus just said, I will. I mean, that's easy, isn't it? And you know, we have a problem with easy. In church, people have a problem with easy. I mean, somehow we've got a strain. Veins have to pop out. You know, we got to do all of our wrinkles up. We, you know, we got to get it all just right. we got to have the right tone of voice. And, and you know, we, we need so-and-so to be there, you know, slapping us on the back or whatever it is we, we think, and then we're maybe going to get it. And, and, and that's not how it happens. You know what I believe we need in, in the church world today? Now, this is my opinion. You might disagree with me, and that's okay if you do. But if I agreed with you, we'd both be wrong. But anyway, no, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding, just kidding. But we need, we need some classes on how to receive. Amen. We need some instruction on how to receive. And it's not hard. It's not hard. Jesus said, I will. The guy got healed. His theology was corrected, and he put his faith out there, and the power was there. You see, anytime your faith is where it needs to be, God's power will come to you. The anointing will come to you. And faith plus power equals miracles. Amen. And so Jesus ministered this way. And he said from Isaiah's prophecy, we'll go back here again to verse 18, Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, or that uh, the Jewish ears would have heard that he was saying to them to preach the year of the Jubilee. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister or the servant there that was handling the materials and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, this day, notice not tomorrow, not next week, or we're going to fast for 10 more days, and we're going to have a 24-hour prayer vigil, and we're going to have all-night prayer, and, you know, uh, when the sister hits the high note, then it's going to work. No, he didn't say that. He said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. In other words, all this that I've told you, which is all that Isaiah prophesied seven centuries earlier, because of the Holy Ghost upon me, Jesus said, this is now all available to you. Now we know, because we have the whole Bible, that all of this was done based on the realization that he was going to pay for it at the cross. You see, it's like, you know, you take a vacation, and, uh, you know, it's just convenient. Maybe you got some kind of 
points card or whatever. And so you take your vacation and let's just use a nice, let's say your vacation is $2,000. And so you use this credit card and you pay for everything with the card with the intent that before the, the cycle is up with the card, before you have to pay any interest, you're going to pay that off. So you're using the card today, but three weeks from now, you're going to pay for all of this. That's exactly what Jesus was doing when he walked the earth, when he healed the sick, when he opened the eyes of the blind, when he opened the ears of the deaf, when he caused the crippled to be able to walk. All the things he did, he was doing it based on the fact that it was going to be paid for at the cross. And that's very important because that means since it's a cross situation, it becomes a redemptive blessing. And that's an important, important thing. Redemptive blessing means it's blood-bought. And the reason that's so important is because that means it is totally and completely paid for. No strings are attached. It is offered by grace through faith to whosoever will. There are no pickings and choosings on the part of God. The only thing that makes the difference in whether or not I receive or you receive is me or you determining whether or not I will receive. God's done all he needs to do, all he's going to do. It's all there and even gave us the Holy Ghost so we can have the same anointing and walk in the same kind of ministry that Jesus had. And as we do that, the same power that healed the people in Jesus' day is the same power, the same Holy Ghost that heals people, blesses people, and sets captives free today. And I'll tell you that's some of the best news you will ever hear in your lifetime because that means you're not waiting on God. You're not hoping and praying and wishing and wondering if you're one of the lucky ones or one of the chosen ones. But no, you can say by faith, I believe the word is true and I take what God said at his word. And so therefore it's mine. Thank you, Father God. I am the healed. I am the blessed. I am the saved. I am the filled. I am the prosperous. I am a covenant person. I am blessed in all that I set my hand to because these are my covenant rights. And when you, when you live in a place of faith in your covenant rights, you open yourself for the Holy Spirit to flow through you and upon you to bring God's Word to pass. To bring His Word to pass. Now, I've been looking at this now for uh, a few weeks because we've been studying this and we've been, uh, uh, you know, coming into this subject. And so I knew that Luke 4 was one of the places that we would need to go. And so I'm meditating on it, different things, and looking at all these different aspects that Jesus said, I'm anointed to do, and quoting from Isaiah 61. And we see a lot of things on the list. And as I began to seek the Lord about it and how we would minister this, I realized that what he was saying here is that the anointing will affect you to bless you in every area of your life. If you want to sum up the 18th and 19th verses of Luke 4, what you realize is that Jesus' anointing affects to bless the total man, spirit, soul, body, and materially. And the first thing that he said, for instance, was he was anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. Isn't that amazing? That there is an anointing 
to get you out of poverty. Just like there's an anointing to get you healed. Just like there's an anointing to bring you joy and to cause your heart not to be a broken heart. Like there's an anointing to heal your body, to open your eyes, or whatever you might need. There is an anointing. Always the anointing has purpose. Say that with me. The anointing has purpose. You see, it's not just to feel good. It's not just to play around with. It's not just, you know, we, we have, and I'm kind of going back to what I said earlier, but we need to be aware of this. The Holy Spirit's more than just an experience where we feel something. It's more than just someone falling in the floor under the power, as we say. It's more than, than any of these things. The Holy Spirit is a person, and His anointing, His presence is always for a purpose, and the purpose, generally speaking, is to take us beyond our natural ability in whatever area we're looking at, whether it's healing or uh, material prosperity, whatever it may be, it is to take us beyond our natural ability into the supernatural. That's why Samson didn't look like a bodybuilder. Because it was the anointing that gave him strength, not exercise. Amen. That's why Jesus healed people, and he wasn't a physician. There's nothing wrong with physicians, obviously. They are a blessing. But the point is, when we talk about the, the anointing, and we talk about the power of the Word, and we talk about the ministry of the Spirit, we're talking about something that transcends and supersedes that which is natural. If you can do whatever it is you're doing, and you don't need any supernatural help, well, then you don't really need an anointing for that. Maybe we don't need an anointing to wash dishes or mow the lawn. But if you're going to lay hands on the sick and believe that they will recover, you need an anointing. If you're going to minister in any area of ministry that's outlined in Scripture and you're going to serve in the kingdom of God in a place of ministry, you need the anointing. And, of course, the difference between no anointing and having the anointing is the difference between dead churches, dead services, dead ministries, and those which are alive. It's the Holy Ghost that makes the difference. It's not how many initials are at the end of your name, and we're not against education, of course. But it's not about that. It's not about how many people you know in your denominational organization or structure. It's not how many people like you on Facebook. It's not how many people watch your Instagram or whatever it is. That's not it at all. The thing is the anointing. And the anointing will actually draw people to you that you can minister to in a way that no kind of media outlet can possibly do. It's amazing, isn't it, that Jesus did all that he did without the internet. Isn't it amazing that America has had more than one great awakening, you might say, without television? Without Christian media, quote-unquote. And I'm not against those things. We, we use those things, you know. But that's not, those are not the big issues. We're not going to defeat the devil with just bigger buildings. We're not going to defeat the devil just because we have uh, cutting-edge sound equipment or cutting-edge lighting or because we have smoke machines and uh, sound effects or anything of that nature. <laughs> We're not going to, we're not going to, that's not how you defeat the devil. Those are all natural things. And I'm not saying they don't have any place at all, but 
I think too much the church of today has gotten so caught up with trying to compete with the world, or most of the time it's kind of keep up with the world and what they're doing now and what it looks like now. And, you know, we just need, I think, to take a step back and forget that for a moment and say, Lord, how do we do church? How is it you want to function in our midst? What would you like to do tonight or this morning in this service? How, how would you like to minister? How can the anointing that destroys yokes and removes burdens, in other words, the anointing that really does make a change, what can we do to facilitate so that anointing flows in our midst? You know, from ancient times, wrestlers, and you know, there, there are these pictures in the Bible, you know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and so forth. There's these pictures, and then the anointing that breaks the yoke that causes, you know, the, the fatness that can't hold those animals together. That's kind of the picture in Isaiah 10, 27. But what you, what you might not realize is that from ancient times, wrestlers would put oil on their skin. And even now, in some situations, that's the way it is. And the purpose is so that you cannot get a hold on them. They're trying to keep their opponent from being able to have enough friction to hold them. And the anointing in your life can be so that the devil just can't get his hands on you. He, he, he grabs and grasps and he tries, but he, you just keep slipping out of his hands. Because there is a supernatural element on you and upon your life that causes you to walk in a place of blessing and power that the devil can't enter into and he cannot stop. And that's why the anointing is so important. That's why it is so powerful. And that's why we need to do everything that we can and we know to do to connect with the anointing and to protect the anointing that is upon our lives. Two words I want to leave you with tonight before we go. Connecting and protecting. We want to do that on a personal level. We want to do that in a church setting. Those who minister to us, we want them to minister the anointing. Because no matter how much they know, no matter how well educated they are, no matter how entertaining they might be in their approach and in their delivery, none of that is going to set you free unless there's some anointing there. And so what we want to protect is the anointing upon the meeting, the anointing upon the pastor, the anointing upon the evangelist, the anointing upon the singers, the anointing upon on those who minister to our children because I know and probably many of you also know and realize that there are times when you can just be with somebody as I said earlier and just the presence of the Lord begins to affect you I've been in places where just being in the room with somebody the power of God would come upon you that doesn't happen with everybody we meet. That doesn't happen every day with every person. But I'm telling you, we all need those times when we are overcome with the presence of God to the point that we are lifted beyond ourselves and we go into the dimension of the Spirit long enough that we can start seeing into that realm where God wants to take us. God loves us too much to leave us like He found us. Change from God will always be a good change. And it will always take us to new places where we want to go and we need to go. And so we want to walk in that anointing where that the power of God is upon us and we can slip through 
the strategies and the traps of the devil. In Mark, the fifth chapter, the woman with the issue of blood who was healed in the ministry of Jesus. You know, for so many years I've heard her referred to, and I've done it so many times myself, as the woman with the issue of blood. When you get to heaven and talk to her, she may have to remind you she doesn't have one anymore. She's healed. Amen. But since we don't know her name, we just call her the woman with the issue of blood. But anyway, in Mark chapter 5, you'll notice, and you will remember that story if you read it, that she determined how she would get a miracle. Not Jesus. She determined it. As a matter of fact, Jesus, in the fleshly dimension, walking that day, going to uh, Jairus' house, in his mind, he was going to minister to Jairus' daughter, and he did. But the woman with the issue of blood stopped him on the way because she put a demand on the anointing. And she put the demand on the anointing by touching the hem of his garment. There's something about touch. The laying on of hands. We mentioned this Sunday as we laid hands on the children. How that it's one of the six fundamental principles of the doctrine of Christ found in the sixth chapter of Hebrews. Along with repentance from dead works, faith toward God, all these other important things, the resurrection of the dead. I mean, some very basic and powerful biblical doctrines. Right in the middle of the list is the doctrine of laying on of hands. It's a doctrine. It's not just a passing thought. But it is a Christian New Testament teaching or doctrine. Now, I don't know about you, and I'm not trying to belittle anybody anywhere or, or, or besmirch anybody or anything, but I can tell you that I grew up in church where we, we didn't e I didn't even know that there was a doctrine of the laying on of hands. I was saved for years before I realized that there is such a doctrine. I didn't realize how much is in the Bible about laying on of hands and about transmitting or transferring the anointing. I never, I was, I was in the ministry. I was spirit-filled for several years. And in the ministry for a while before I really realized Acts 19, 11, and 12, what that was about. And God wrought special miracles. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. It doesn't say Paul wrought special miracles by the hands of God. It says God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. Well, how did that happen? What happened? He said, the scriptures go on to say, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. So those pieces of cloth were carriers of the anointing. You say, that doesn't make sense. I know. It doesn't make sense that a brown cow eats green grass and gives white milk and turn, turns into yellow butter. That doesn't make sense either, does it? But it's pretty good stuff. Whether you're eating the cow or what they, what they give us. But anyway, a lot of things don't make sense. But they work. And so we find in the Bible where the anointing is concerned that there's always this need to believe God. It always takes us in the realm of faith. And I know that we don't always like that. Our flesh likes easy. We, and as I said, God has made it easy. 
But one of the keys to, to receiving is you have to believe him. You can't work it up. You can't earn it. You're not going to buy it. You have to receive it. And that involves faith. And faith, of course, comes only one way, and that's by hearing the Word of God. And so as we continue to hear and hear and hear and hear, whether it's hearing somebody else tell us or whether it's us speaking it forth, faith comes, and that gives us our entry, if you will, or our um, ticket to the anointing, to the power of God. And whether it's through the laying on of hands or whether it's through an anointed word, because there's another way the anointing is transmitted. It's through the spoken word. The Bible says of Jesus that people came to hear him and to be healed. So there were people healed in Jesus' ministry that he never touched them and they never touched him. But they simply heard what he was teaching. And the power of God and the presence of God was so powerful that they were healed just as they heard. There are various ways the anointing is transmitted. All of them are powerful. All of them are necessary. And all of them are good. The woman decided she would touch Jesus. In Matthew chapter 8, the centurion who came on behalf of his servant, he also set the terms for his servant's healing. And he told Jesus, speak the word only and my servant will be healed. And that's what happened. In 2 Kings chapter 4, there was a woman who had, cre who had made this this uh, room for Elisha the prophet to, to go into. She had made room for the prophet. And anytime you accommodate, anytime you make room for, anytime you're a blessing to a man or a woman of God who's anointed, you are in essence making room for that anointing. And so she did this. And of course, uh, she received a child supernaturally at the word of Elisha the prophet. And then... When the child died, she went to the prophet, and you know the story if you've, if you've read the, the, the passage uh, in 2 Kings chapter 4. Her son was raised from the dead because she determined and told Elisha, the prophet, the terms. He said, I'll send my servant. She said, no, you're going to go. You think about the boldness. The audacity. How could anybody be that bold? Somebody who's made room for the Holy Ghost. You see, there are people who come into meetings like this, come into Sunday morning services, not only here, but anywhere there's a flow of the anointing, and they come in determined, I'm going to receive. There are times whenever that, you know, you can just sense when you minister, you can just sense. They're just, they're just pulling it, so to speak, pulling it out of you. There are times when whole congregations, on the whole, maybe not every single person, but people pull that anointing out of you to teach and to preach. They place a demand on the anointing. And I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to place a demand on the anointing because preachers will preach better than they really can preach. And they'll do things they didn't plan to do. Things will happen not because of the preacher, but because of God. Because of the anointing. Amen. Now, connecting and protecting. That's what we're talking about. Let me close with this because we're, we're running, we ran out of time. And I just want you to think about this. And then, of course, next week we can go a little further and see how the Lord leads us. But 
when Jesus told the disciples that another comforter is going to come, remember in the book of John when he said to them, another comforter, the, the word another there doesn't mean different. It means just the same, but another. Uh, the other day I splurged. I know I shouldn't have done it, so don't fuss at me, but it was so good. I, I went to Five Guys, you know. I just had to take out a second mortgage to, to pay for No, I'm kidding. Their burgers aren't cheap, but they're really good. Anyway, I went, and uh, it was so good. It was so good. I didn't say good for you, but it was so good. It tasted so good. Well, if I, if I, go, to, if I go tomorrow, and I'm not going to, but if I went tomorrow, and I, and if, and if I told Glenn, I said, well, I'm going to go have another. I know everything I had on it. You know, all the good stuff, jalapeno, peppers, onions, you know, all that good stuff you, you got to have. Well, if I got another one, how many of you know it wouldn't be the same one I ate the other day? But it would be another in the sense it's just like that one. Prepared the same way, same ingredients, so it's another. Well, that's what Jesus meant when he said another comforter. He meant that this this other comforter, another comforter will come, but he's just like me. So everything I've been to you, Jesus said to the disciples, that's what the Holy Spirit's going to be to you. Now I got to meditating and thinking about that, and I thought about how that the disciples evidently had to learn how to develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit. What an adjustment that must have been. They were always used to going to Jesus. Jesus figured everything out. Jesus told them what to do. Jesus fixed the stuff. And now Jesus is gone, but there's another comforter. And they had to learn how to work with this comforter who would do everything Jesus did, but it's a little different in that it's the Holy Spirit, not a physical body of Jesus there. And I got to thinking... That's the same thing we have to do. That's the same thing we're doing. We are learning how to cooperate with the Holy Ghost. Do you know the Holy Ghost knows the, the, the answer to the hardest question you have? If you're facing some kind of challenge at work, if you've got some challenging circumstances at home, if you've got financial difficulties, if you're battling things in your body, if you are dealing with some heavy-duty oppression and spiritual forces coming against you that are attacking you in your mind or whatever, do you know that the Holy Spirit knows how to deal with every one of those things? We need to cultivate and develop a, a relationship with the Holy Spirit whereby He becomes your very best friend. You can't be on your knees all the time. You can't close your eyes all the time. Especially when you're driving, you know. But you can be constantly aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but the more I teach about this and the more I study this, the more hungry I become to become better acquainted with the Holy Spirit. I want to be led. I want to be anointed. I want to be empowered for whatever God wants me to do. I want it to be by the power of of the Holy Ghost. I want to connect with the anointing and I want to protect the anointing so that I'm always ready and I want you to always be ready. Father, 
In Jesus' name, how grateful we are for the Holy Ghost. We thank you for the power that is manifested into our lives. Lord, this is not just for preachers. This isn't just for apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. This isn't just about people who are perhaps more visible than some others as far as being in the front of the church. But this is about every single believer living and walking in that anointing that John taught us about in 1 John. When he said, but the anointing that you have received abideth in you. You're always there, Lord. And you're always ready. Help us to be sensitive. Help us, Lord, to be better stewards of this great, great blessing you brought to us.